hope is that this will be an encouraging psalm to you. This is one that I chose it because I wanted to kind of go one direction, and I began to study the text, and I had to go another direction. And that's good. I mean, we're all together in process here learning from, from God's Word. This is a great psalm. I pray that you'd be encouraged by it. Psalm 29, and read starting in verse 1. Psalm of David, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is a God-centered psalm. I don't know how else to say that. I mean, literally, this is a Yahweh-centered psalm. The personal name for God is used 18 times in this psalm. If you guys have the ESV or the NASB, whatever you guys have, remember, most of those modern translations, anytime you see the Lord in all caps, that's the personal name of God, Yahweh. And look, you just see it over and over and over. 18 times in this psalm. And not only that, this psalm is also focused on the voice of Yahweh. You guys saw that seven times in this psalm. In verses 3 through 9, you can see how it permeates those seven verses. The voice of Yahweh. So I've divided this text up into three units that I believe the text makes. First one is kind of a point, a purpose, what you should do. Number one, worship Yahweh, if you guys have the notes there. Number one, worship Yahweh. Number two, Yahweh speaks. And number three, Yahweh reigns. So number one, worship Yahweh. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Three times in these first two verses do we see the call to ascribe to the Lord. Ascribe to the Lord. It's a word, that word ascribe, most commonly translated as give. And that's just the simplest definition. Give. Give to the Lord. This is a call to worship, a call to give praise to whom praise is due. A call to worship specifically to the, no, what does it say? The heavenly beings. It's literally the sons of God. That's the Hebrew language there. The sons of God. It's one of the few places in the Old Testament, that that type of language is used in Scripture. And if we put them all together, it's best understood as referring to angelic beings. Angelic beings, that's who this call to worship is to. It's a heavenly call to corporate worship, even the angels to praise God. But I'd quickly move to say, just because it's to the angelic beings doesn't mean you and I are excluded. 
Just because it's to the angels doesn't mean you and I are left off the hook, you might say. Perhaps you remember Revelation 5, right? Where you have the myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands of angels crying out and praising God in verses 11 and 12. And then verses 13 and 14, listen to this. Here's what it says. Every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the might forever and ever. See, all of creation is called to worship God. By the very fact that it has been created by God, all of creation owes him praise and worship. We owe it to him. And in those last days that Revelation 5 is looking forward to, when God's redemptive plan has been worked out and completely fulfilled, then we'll see all of creation rightly praising God and giving him all glory and worship. But even in the here and now, you and I, God's people, we're called to what? Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Verse 2, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Name in the Old Testament was, was not merely just a title. You know, my name is Caleb, but that doesn't really, you know, tell you much. I've always heard someone says, like, Caleb means, like, dog. It's like, I hope you don't think I'm a dog. Um, it, 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 you don't really do anything with that. It's just his name's Caleb. That's what you, you call him. That's my title, you might say. But in the Old Testament, that's not merely what's going on here. It's more than that. It's getting to the essence or the character of someone. And no doubt David here is alluding back to Exodus 3.14. You remember that when Moses speaks um, to God, or rather God speaks to him out of a burning bush, and he says, you know, what is your name? And he says, I am who I am. Or maybe better to be translated, I will be who I will be. In other words, God is saying what I'm about to do in the Exodus, what I'm about to do in these plagues and leading my people out and demonstrating that I am the one true, only, holy God, that's who I am. That is my name. And there's no other besides him. And so when we give God the glory, as verse 2 calls us to, it doesn't mean that we're giving him more glory than he already has. We can add nothing to him. No, in fact, when we give God the glory, it's a call to declare him as he truly is. He is infinitely glorious in and of himself from eternity past. We ascribe to him, we give to him, we echo back what is true. This is a call to worship the Lord for who he is. God's name is glorious in his essence intrinsically, he is glorious. He is independent, perfect, unchangeable, eternal, infinite, and beyond our finite comprehension. He's gracious, merciful, holy, all-wise, all-powerful, and he's also always patient with us. I'm so thankful for that one. But you could argue that the whole purpose or goal of this psalm is found in this first point. Worship Yahweh. It all goes back to these first two verses. The latter two units, the rest of this psalm that I'm titling Yahweh Speaks and Yahweh Reigns are simply supporting passages going back to this. So don't get confused. If you're like, why do I have Psalm 29 in my Bible? What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to worship God. Worship Yahweh because of who he is. He's glorious, strong, and holy. Number two, Yahweh Speaks. Yahweh speaks. Verse 3, 
the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders the Lord over many waters. I think it's important to note right up front that this psalm is not speaking generally of the voice of the Lord. In fact, the parallelism of verse 3 clarifies that the voice of the Lord in this psalm relates to God's power on display in thunder and lightning. That's really what this psalm is getting at. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. Okay, well, well, how so? Well, his voice is over the waters in that the God of glory thunders over them. That's what the text says. God's voice is clearly heard in this thunder and lightning. And referring to thunder and lightning as the voice of God, it's not uncommon in the Old Testament, okay? This is not out of the ordinary. In fact, in Exodus 9, when God is bringing the plague of hail down upon Egypt, you guys remember that? When he's bringing that down, verse 23 says this, that Yahweh gave forth thunder and hail, and fire, talking about lightning, went down to the earth. That word there, thunder, it's literally the same word, voice. It's the same word, voice. But in context, you know what's going on. Thunder and hail and lightning is coming down. Later on in Exodus 19, when the Lord descends on Mount Sinai, and you have this glorious, just awesome picture of smoke and fire, and it's just amazing when the Lord comes down in all his splendor on Mount Sinai. It says in verse 19 that Moses spoke, and Yahweh answered with thunder. Again, it's the same word for voice translated there. But I think these are good translations. They're trying to unpack and understand that thunder and lightning is kind of this illustration of God's power. This is his power on display, and he speaks through the thunder from the heavens. I think Psalm 29 is kind of an extended illustration, you might say, illustrating the power of of God's voice. And since this is where I'm kind of going off on kind of those subpoints there, I'm not a subpoint guy, but I'm going to give you some subpoints if you have the notes. I wanted to go through, spend some time pondering the voice of Yahweh, how God continues to speak through his voice even today. So these are those subpoints. Number one, Yahweh speaks through his creation. Yahweh speaks through his creation. I want to read verse 3 through 9. This really is, in fact, the main point of these verses, that God speaks through his creation. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, all cry glory. Psalm 29 clearly teaches us that when the seas are raging, when the clouds come and the thunder roars and the lightning comes down and the world is just shaking as it seems, It's teaching us that when that happens, it's not Mother Nature on display. It's God Almighty showing his power. It's him. It's him in all his glorious might and majesty. Maybe in verse 3, you're reminded of Genesis 1, right? Where it speaks of the Spirit of God being over the waters. And then in creation, what happens? It's God's voice. His word goes out. 
and he creates. He says, let there be light, and there was light. There's power in his voice. His word accomplishes his purpose. It's effectual. You see, thunder and lightning are a demonstration of the power of God's voice. In verse 5, through these forces of nature, what does it say God does? He breaks the cedars, the cedars of Lebanon. You're like, okay, so what? Why are we specifying the cedars of Lebanon? Do you not like those ones? Well, no, actually in the Old Testament, the cedars of Lebanon were noted for their strength and their size, okay? If you remember 1 Kings, uh, the earlier section there, chapters 4 to 10, Solomon is building the temple, and one of those prize building elements is the cedars of Lebanon. That's what he wants to build the temple with. Those are some real nice trees. <laughs> they're strong and they're powerful, and he wants to use those. Maybe a modern-day illustration is, you know, the Lord breaks even the great sequoias that we've got up here. Even those amazing, strong trees, the Lord, by the power of his voice, demonstrated in lightning and thunder, can snap them. Verse 6, he makes Lebanon to skip like a calf, and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. It's talking about lightning. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Maybe you're like me and you're unfamiliar with, well, what is Syrian? What's Kadesh? What are we talking about here? I know Lebanon's kind of a country over there, but what are these other places? Well, Syrian is just another name for Mount Hermon, okay? Mount Hermon is kind of this northern part of Israel, okay? It's this mountain range in the north, and that's where these mighty trees are. And then you have the wilderness of Kadesh. That's a desert wilderness in the southern part of Israel. So you see what he's doing here. It's all expansive from the north and to the south and from the mountains and to the desert. You name the place, the voice of the Lord is flexing his muscles. There's no escape from his power. He is over it all. There is no region where the voice of Yahweh does not display his power. Verse 9, the voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all cry glory. And notice how in all of this, in verses 3 through 9, who is the active decisive cause? It's God. He's the one who, what, breaks the cedars. He makes Lebanon to skip. He, he makes mountains jump. <laughs> He's the one who does it. He shakes the wilderness. He makes the deer give birth, and he strips the forest bare. In all of creation, in the storm, in the thunder, in the lightning, in the quaking of the earth, in the erupting of the volcano, it's all done through the power of God. He is the one doing it all. And that is why, verse 9, in his temple, all cry glory. All credit, all praise, all worship, all glory is due to the one doing it all. Now, in the context of this psalm, especially with verse 1, talking about the, the sons of God, the heavenly beings, this seems to be referring to God's heavenly temple. In that temple, all are crying glory. But in verses 3 through 9, the picture is down here on earth. So it's heavenly and earthly. In both places, God is, we are called to give God glory. There's no place where we're not called to give Him glory. All of creation is called to praise Him. And so the voice of God is clearly heard in the thunder 
enlightening. But I don't think this text wants us to limit our thinking only to these powerful displays in nature. I don't think this is only an illustration talking about thunder and lightning. In fact, every other time the exact phrase voice of Yahweh is used in the Old Testament, it refers to God speaking with words, either audibly or written down. The voice of Yahweh, it's talking about God's words. In Daniel 9, verse 10, for example, Daniel, he's confessing the sins of Israel, and he says, we have not obeyed the voice of the Lord. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. You see, in other words, the voice of the Lord is what is written down in the pages of Scripture. God's voice is found in the text. This is where he speaks. And so God not only, number one, speaks through his creation, number two, Yahweh speaks through his word. Yahweh speaks through his word. Just as the Old Testament people of God relied on him to speak through his prophets, like Moses and Isaiah, even now God continues to speak to us as we listen to his word. His voice is still going out in power and majesty as hearts are changed and people are called to him and as he still displays his power in all of creation. Jeremiah 23, 29, I love this verse. God says, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces? Hebrews 4, 12 adds that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the, the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You see, the voice of the Lord, which is active and effectual in creation, is active and effectual to work in human hearts. There's no area where his voice does not work according to his purpose. George Swinnick has uh, become one of my favorite authors. You guys have probably heard me quote him before. And he was an English Puritan in the 1600s. He's not one of the most well-known, but his writings have just been incredibly rich to me. And speaking of the power of God's words, he writes this I wanted to share. God speaks effectually. As he has power to command us, so he has power to enable us to obey. We can tell others their duty, but we cannot force them to observe their duty. We cannot empower them to obey, but God speaks so that his people may hear. Every man, therefore, that has heard and has learned of the Father comes unto me, John 6, 45. Some people are so dull that no one can teach them. But God can make the dull, blind, and ignorant to consider, apprehend, and understand the most difficult things. His power accompanies his speaking. When he says, let there be light, there is light in a dark mind. He commands the light to shine out of darkness. When he says, let there be life, there is life in a dead soul. We can command the blind to see and the dead to live over and over again, but it is all in vain. Yet if God says to a sinner who lies in the grave, rotting from the vermin of his lusts, stinking in the sight of others, languishing in the devil's chains, if God says to that sinner, sinner, come forth, he comes forth to live forever. There is power in God's voice. Amen? That's so good. None of us would be here tonight if there wasn't. You see, God's word in the hands of the Holy Spirit to this day is the effectual means by which God saves and sanctifies his people. 
As Roman was talking about this morning, the gospel is not, you know, the ABCs, it's the A to Z. Well, the word of God is not the ABCs. It's the A to Z. You continue on in the word. This is how God changes us. And that's why we're told in Colossians 3.16 that the word of Christ is to dwell in us richly. You see, we need the voice that breaks the cedars and makes the mountains skip to move in our hearts, to change our hearts. So God speaks through his creation. He speaks through his word. Number three, God speaks through his son. God speaks through his son. John 1.1 1, 1 says that Jesus himself is the very word of God. He is God, truly God, and he became flesh and dwelt among us to reveal the grace and truth of the Father. He explains who God is. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2 says that long ago and at many times God spoke to us to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son. In John 5, 25, Jesus says that an hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. You see, just as God's voice rings out in the thunder of a mighty storm, so the voice of Jesus rings out in calling the dead to life. In our passage tonight, I couldn't help but think of, of one other passage. You know, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. His sound, his voice is going out in thunder and lightning. Just think of Mark 4, right? When Jesus is, they're in a raging sea, right? With his disciples and they're saying, Jesus, wake up, please help us. What does he do? He speaks. He simply says, peace, be still. There's power in his voice. See, the simple reality is, Psalm 93.4 says, Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Be encouraged by this psalm, how great our God is. Point three, Yahweh reigns. Yahweh reigns. Verse 10, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. So as the psalmist, as David comes to close the psalm, he concludes, Yahweh reigns. He is the one over all of this. In light of all that the voice of the Lord does, from shaking the mountains and stirring the seas, the only conclusion to make is that the Lord is enthroned over it all. He's sovereign. He is the king. In verse 10, you see that word for flood? It's found only in this psalm and in Genesis chapter 6 through 11. Which if you guys know that narrative, it's the flood. It's the only other place. What's David saying? Well, the king who sits enthroned now has sat enthroned over it all. He's always been the king. He's always been the one who has the world in his hands. What's that? Song you, you learned maybe in Kids Church, he's got the whole world in his hands. That's true. I want our kids to know that. We need to know that. Because what, no matter what's going on in your life, you go to a psalm like Psalm 29, and you're just reminded, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. Whatever's going on in your life, it ain't as bad as Noah's flood. The Lord's over it all. Be encouraged. 
That's why in verse 11, there's that final petition to the Lord. He's the only sovereign. From him comes everything we need. We need strength from him. We need his spirit to continually bless us with the assurance of peace we now have in Christ. Just one in two simple applications. Two simple applications. Number one, thank the Lord for speaking to us. Thank the Lord for speaking to us. The voice of the Lord has gone out, and he has called his people to himself, and that voice is still speaking. I mean, it's simple, but I think this is a right application of this psalm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. You give back praise and ascribe to the Lord the glory that verses 1 and 2 call us to do. We need to give him the glory. God, you are glorious and holy. You are great and mighty. We look to the thunder and lightning, and we see your power on display. Next time you hear thunder and lightning, when it happens maybe in 20 years in Bakersfield again, if it ever happens, think of Psalm 29. Go to Psalm 29. He's the one over it all. We hear his voice clearly in creation and clearly in his word. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. If the Lord would bless us in speaking to us, and he does, then it's only right for us to respond in thankful worship because it all comes from him. I'm currently reading um, two volumes. If you guys are friends with me on Goodreads, maybe you know this. Um, I'm currently reading a two-volume biography of George Whitfield. It's fascinating because I don't know a ton about George Whitfield, and it's just amazing. And it just makes you praise the Lord for how great um, he used this man. It is amazing. Um, but in Whitfield's diary, and this is before, I think he was 23. And so, I mean, all of us are, we're all pretty much past that, maybe some of us. But in other words, look to this young buck, okay, right? Like, look to this young guy. He lists 15 questions that he would ask himself every night before he went to bed. 15 questions every night before he went to bed to see how he did in honoring the Lord that day. And number five struck me. He says this, Have I, after any pleasure, immediately given thanks? Have I, after any pleasure, immediately given thanks? I think if we're honest, that's probably not true of us. We are not a thankful people. We continually just presume upon God's generosity and his grace. And so Psalm 29 calls us back to what? Ascribe to the Lord all glory and praise and honor. It all comes from his good hand. So give thanks. We ought to be a joy-filled, thankful people for all that the Lord has done for us. Number two, pray that the Lord would continue to speak to us. Pray that the Lord would continue to speak. If he is the active and decisive cause in all of this, as David through the psalm is attesting, then that means we continually need him to be at work in our lives. We continually need him to speak. I've already quoted Swinnick. He, he writes, later, get your heart effectually possessed with this truth. In other words, he's saying, get this in your brain. You need to know this. That God must work his own work in you and for you, or it will never be done. You need God to work in your heart. 
We all do. And so plead with the Lord that he would work in your heart. Lord, I'm not thankful. I'm not as thankful as I should be, so please help me. He's not saying that we sit back and do nothing until God moves us or something like that. No, he's just saying what Philippians 2.13 is saying. We work and God works. He's the one at work in us, giving us the desires to even please him. So pray that the Lord would continue to speak to us and work in us. I know personally, that's a prayer of everyone in leadership here at Crossway, from the pastors to the deacons. Pray. We want our church to be a praying church. That's why we try to prioritize, and I'm trying to end early, because we want to pray. Because we know that unless he does it, he got nothing. Unless the Lord builds a house, labor's labor in vain. And so pray. Pray, Lord, please do something with these words. When you open the Bible in, your mor- in the morning, tomorrow morning, Pray, Lord, please do something with these words. Change me. Move in me. Prayer and this dependence on God needs to be the lifeblood of our church. Continually pray for our church. Pray that he would continue to speak. Verse 11, may the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. We just see so clearly in a psalm like this, your majesty, your glory in creation, all the seasons that change and the storms that come and go are simply calling us to behold your majesty and your glory. Lord, I pray that you'd continue to speak to us through your word. Lord, help us to be a grateful people. Help us to be thankful for what you've done for us. Lord, I pray that we would be a church committed to your word and committed to prayer, that we would be ever dependent upon you. Lord, take this word, plant it deep in us. It would change us, move us to look more like your son. We thank you for this time. Amen.